0: Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, we finally made it to a series that I knew about probably last February or March, somewhere in that vicinity. The title of this mini-series for two weeks, as you see up there on the screens, is My One Word. And uh, I got the idea. I did not invent this idea. This idea came to me through a book I kind of read on accident. I was just making a list in the new year of books that I wanted to read in different genres. And one of them in the spiritual category was this book, My One Word. And it's more, these two weeks, it's more than just two messages pertaining to our lives. This is more of a movement. Uh, there is a stream that is running that I would like our church to jump into, and for this to be something, um, Lord willing, as you heard last week with Pastor Tom, that this would be something, as we move forward into the future, that this would be a tradition. And I think we, want we pastors, and talking for all three of us, we want to be a church, really. I think tradition is good. And we could be people that are steeped in tradition and certain things that we do every year, That things that are on the calendar that we can look forward to. This is one of those things that I have looked at, And said, it would be great if this would really take hold and take root in our lives. So that's what my prayer is. And I'm just going to open up in a word of prayer. Lord, I just ask that you would uh, anoint my words, Lord. Go beyond even what people are hearing. May they get the the spirit, Lord, of, of this message and everything that it embodies. Father, I thank you that you are real, you are present, and you are here on this seemingly ordinary, just whatever day in January. Lord, that we can really experience you. Lord, your word says today is the day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Not tomorrow, not holidays, not Christmas, not New Year's. Lord, today, this very seemingly ordinary day is where we can touch you and where we can experience you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do that. That you would enliven each word. It would penetrate our hearts. Do something. Let people see that change is really possible in 2014. Lord, we come against the enemy that would try to keep us busy and distracted and scattered. Lord, help us to be a people of focus. Help us to really believe that you can change us from the inside out, not the outside in. That our hearts would be renovated and transformed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That is my prayer. And where is my clicker? Does everyone have the handout? You have sermon notes today. And you will get sermon notes tomorrow. Uh, In looking at the series, I said, I think it would be advantageous if I gave you an idea. And you can see there the, the thesis for these two weeks. The normal, natural pace of our lives will not lead to spiritual formation. Paraphrasing something I got from Dallas Willard. In 2014, let's do something about one thing instead of nothing about everything. By the time this message ends, you will understand that this is a simple message. And it was good. Pastor Linda said to me, James, simple is good. So for all of us here, grab hold of this simple message, carry it forth in your lives and get ready to see some amazing things. How many of you feel as if just this past week, you know, the holidays are over. How many of you feel as if you just don't have enough time to live your life? Show of hands. Really, honestly, how many of you feel like, okay? Some of you don't have your hands up. Again, I say this all the time. You're lying. You're in church, all right? Or I would like to have. I want your insight. I want you to help me have a private conversation with me after the meeting. What do you do with your life? How do you find the time to do everything? Great quote, Benjamin Franklin. This is what he said in the 1700s. Some of you have probably seen this. Do you love life? Yes, Benjamin, we do then do not squander time, for that's the stuff life is made of. Do not squander time. Now, I would like to say, though, let's stop. I put his face up there. Mr. Franklin, living in the 1700s, horse and carriage, different world, a lot easier, maybe not to squander your time then. How about you jump into the 21st century and live here in American society and see what it's like with the age of technology, the age of innovation, and you try to live our lives today, right? Too bad that can't happen, but you know, you get what I'm saying there. Well, I also, in in preparing for this, I did a lot of research. I was online and I was looking at, you know, like you see those things around the new year, like how do you become a better you, the new you? Anybody see things like that? right, you read stuff online or you see different TV shows, can we just like briefly hit the tip of the iceberg of some things that we're really supposed to do in in our world? You ready for this? Okay, you don't look ready, but I'm going to give it to you. In looking at one professional journal, they talked about our health maintenance, our home maintenance, and our car maintenance. Let's just start at the first one, our health maintenance. Do we know, we not know, that we're supposed to eat certain foods every day? We're supposed to get enough fiber, enough calcium, right? At this time of the year, you are very deficient in vitamin D, right? Because of the sun, right? And getting into that. But so we should be taking some sort of supplements. You should be taking your roasted chicken. If you have chicken at some point this week, we're supposed to take the bones from that chicken and make some bone broth. I make a mean bone broth. You want my recipe? That's what they tell us to do. We need to exercise, They tell us to combine cardio, right, with weight training, some resistance training. And some of you, right, you need, right, we need this year, 2014. I was at the gym this morning. I saw more faces than I usually see. It's January. We need some extended time so our our, uh, mind and body can align, right, in in reading. Some of you are saying amen. Good. We need to do this on a germ-resistant mat. All right. Spend a lot of time doing that. Or at least I have a germ resistant mat. I need to pay attention to my finances. Need to save. Right. We need to invest a little bit. Whether you have a 401k, I have a 403b. We should try to do that. We should get our credit checked once in a while. My wife went to Target uh, December 15th on the last day. That those hackers were out there trying to steal identities. Yeah, yeah, we're part of that. Are you part of that? Isn't that some of you? I see you're nodding yes. A lot of you are. Aren't you glad? Isn't that great? So we have to check our credits so we don't have 50 credit cards open up in our name and somebody's laughing behind some computer screen in Madison, Wisconsin. We have to shred important documents. How about with our cars? You have to change your oil every three to 5,000 miles. Hopefully you're staying on top of that. You have to get your tires rotated. You have to check your smoke detector batteries biannually. Some of you are gonna go home and do that. You have to replace your toothbrush head every three months. Some of you aren't doing that as well. You have to flip your mattress at least once a year. Some of you haven't flipped it in a decade. You have to buy new pillows every year. Some of you are sleeping with the same pillows when you were 17 years old. And the reason for that is dust mites and maybe your posture. Replace those pillows when you get home. You have to check your skin for irregular moles. You have to go outside and check for moles in the ground. You have to winterize. You have to maximize. You have to scrutinize. You have to fertilize. Suddenly, you realize you don't have time for your life. Are you with me now? I see your faces. You're with me now. That's what I thought. Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart's housekeeping handbook. Yes, I do have a copy at home. No, I can't lie to you. I don't. 744 pages. Who has the time? That's a tome. Now, I'm reading a 700-page book right now, but it's about Teddy Roosevelt. It's about history. Why would I read a book by Martha Stewart? I don't care what it's about. Yeah, yes. All right. 744 pages. How about Mark Pittman's book? How to Cook Everything. The basics? It's over 500 pages. Buddy. Last time I checked, basic meant maybe 50 pages. 500? What could you possibly be writing? 500 pages? Are they kidding me? And then you look at other areas. I haven't even touched our spiritual lives. How about us being great parents? How about our vocations, our jobs? Look at the myriad of things that are on our plates and that we're supposed to do. And then I look at my Bible Right? You open up your Bible and there are a list of things that we're supposed to do. What a disciple of Christ looks like. Things that we're supposed to, you know, that maybe we're tempted by, we're to refrain from. All these different things in our lives. How do we have time to do anything? You're ready to leave? You're leaving. Some of you are very depressed by that. The, uh, the USA Today and the New York Times published a study a while ago. It was great. They asked people in all different fields... What is the minimum amount of time it would take somebody working the minimal amount of time just to get by in their, right just to get by in life in their field so they asked like a sleep coach a vocation coach a nutritionist all these different areas right do you know how many hours they came up just to do the minimum just to get by 42 hours Forty-two hours when you added up all of those hours. Last time I checked, there were 24 hours in the day. American culture, American society. Aren't you glad you live in America? Wow. And how about this time of the year? It's what what time of the year is it? In January? What do we do in January? of the people that live in this country studies say will make resolutions. How many of you will be honest? Again, you're in church. How many of you will be honest and say you made some New Year's resolutions? You made a list. made a couple of things. See some hands. See some hands. Come on, giving you another second or two. All right. You want the top five New Year's resolutions from people heading into this year? You ready for them? All right, here's number one. Not a surprise. Lose weight. All right? Okay. Number two, get out of debt. Number three, enjoy life more. Smell the roses. Number four, spend more time with friends and family. Number five, break a bad habit. Any of you, would you say one of those is on your list? All five of them. All right. Now let's look at this. Losing weight. The AMA says 70% of Americans are overweight. Get out of debt. The average American is over 8,000 in credit card debt. Enjoy life more. This was fascinating. On the top 10 list of prescription drugs that are used in America, these ones hit the list. Drugs for anxiety, depression, pain relief, and heart issues. Wow. And then how about the next one? spending more time with friends and family. That's great, right? I was thinking about my family over the holiday break. And there was one poignant moment in particular that I would like to share with you. We are in our family room. The fire is going. It's beautiful. I'm nestled up on a couch with my Kindle. Do you know what I was reading? You want to know what I was reading? I was reading a Nicholas Sparks book. No, I wasn't reading. Imagine I was really reading a Nicholas. Some of you don't even know who Nicholas Sparks is. All right, all right, making sure you're awake. All right, wasn't reading Nicholas Sparks. I'm reading a book on my Kindle. Jameson has his little, like, I don't know, miniature iPad thing. They call it a leapfrog. The thing is the most annoying thing on the face of the planet. He plays some game. You Remember the movie WALL-E? All, every five seconds, try to read like this. I'm reading, I'm in I'm at 1927, great book. I'm reading, you know, Charles Lindbergh, and I'm going on, and I hear, Wally, Wally, Wally. Every five seconds, try to read in that kind of environment. Then on the other couch is my wife, my lovely wife, and she's on her iPad. All three of us are on electronic devices. All three of us are in the same room, but we're absolutely disconnected. How many of you can relate to that? Wow. and then break a bad habit These are the st- I'm just giving you the stats today I'm only giving you the truth matrix style 87% of Americans make resolutions every year 50% fail within the first 30 days 95% of people that make resolutions will crash and burn after 90 days good luck all of you out there stats say that you will fail The ball keeps dropping in New York Times, right? It drops every single New Year's Eve. And every single New Year's Eve, we drop the ball on our New Year's resolutions. Every single year. You see, we try to be different. But when it comes down to it, our New Year's resolutions get packed away with the last of those Christmas decorations. And I know some of you still have your Christmas decorations. They're out. I've seen pasture homes. When I went to the gym today, I saw reindeer on somebody's property. I had friends over last night... James, you still have a tree tree up in your backyard. I still see a snowman in the back. I know, that's right. I'll get that down eventually. And that's for some of you. We need to get that, take that stuff down. Christmas is over. Jameson is playing a game this morning and I hear Christmas music. Christmas is gone for another year. 2014 doesn't mean it's a new you. Let's get serious. Just because the calendar changes doesn't mean we change. And as one of your pastors, and I've been speaking here long enough, I've grown up in the church, I've watched myriads of people come and go. And can I be really honest, brutally honest with you, this January morning? I would say there are a lot of people that leave one year and enter the new year and don't experience any change. And they go most of their lives doing the same old thing. That's the truth as a pastor. And you know what? Don't feel guilty about that. I'm not guilting you by saying that. All I'm saying to you is that we've gone about it maybe the wrong way, even though we as pastors have grown up here again, and I've watched what has been taught here, and we've been taught the gospel. We've been taught how to change. But for whatever reason, the culture we live in, it is an arduous endeavor. It's an arduous adventure to experience real change. Yeah, and for many of us, we have gone about it the wrong way. So what I want to do for us here is to talk about these next two weeks. I can't hit everything in one week, but for two weeks, I'm asking you to jump on board and let's talk about how we can really experience life change as Christians. Isn't that what you want? Do you want to be the same person at the end of 2014 that you are today? Because if you are, you shouldn't. And that's what we, that's what we want to do. There's a, God made you for a certain reason. God has given you certain gifts. And that person, the person, the, the, as John Ortberg says it in the title of his book, the me I want to be. Isn't there a you that you want to be? But you struggle and you fight and you claw and you can't become that person. Well, I'm glad then that you're here today. And I want to talk about some of the reasons. And you can look it over, you can look over these on your notes later on tonight, the notes that I have provided for you. Let's look at some of the reasons, before I even get into really one word of what it means for us at City on a Hill Community Church. Let's talk about a few of the reasons that our, our resolutions fail and our effort to change. And the first one I would say to you, and we've heard this, this has been preached from the rooftop for decades here this is part of who we are this is part of our dna and i'll say this though if you go this is not something that is preached everywhere but this is a tenant this is something that is built into the structure of who we are as a people and it's you do not change by human willpower and effort by trying to work harder roll up your sleeves and you can do it on your own friends that just doesn't work Trying harder will put you in the vicious cycle of doing the same old thing. You try to do it, right? And what happens? You fail. And then once you fail, what happens? You feel guilt and you feel regret. And the cycle goes on for perpetuity. I try harder. I'm going to try harder this time. And then we fail. And then we say, oh, I feel this regret and I feel this guilt. How do I change this? And it goes on and it goes on and on. But I'm here to tell you this morning, we don't have to live that way. There is a different way. Jesus said he came, what? To give us life and life to the full, life to the brim, overflowing. Do not be mistaken. The one that came 2,000 years ago still has the power to change our lives if we'd let him. And you look at the cycle and as we dig deeper and deeper, I was drawn to Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, when they say, you know, when you think about how we drag our stuff from one year to the next, AA, they say, wherever you go, there you are. How many of you feel that way? Honestly, how many of you feel that inside your soul that you have tried to change over and over again? But every year that goes by, 2009 going into 2010, your baggage comes with you. 2010 into 2011 and so on, you keep bringing your baggage with you. Wherever you go, there you are and you can't escape that. That's the, in Dallas Willard's words, it's the inescapable human problem with no human solution. He's a philosopher. You know what I love what the Apostle Paul said? He put it this way. This is from the message. I don't usually use the message. This is just so much better in the message. Certain verses are. In Romans 7, 17 17 through 20, Eugene Peterson, in translating this, but Paul's saying, but I need something more, for I know the law, but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong, thank you. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. You see, in this very famous passage, and I look at this and I say, look at the Apostle Paul's past. Look at his life. What did he experience? He murdered innumerable Christians. There he is in the book of Acts. He's right there as they're stoning Stephen, one of the saints from the early church. Here is a man that has a, a, a plethora of sin, blood on his hands, Then how could he write this? Then how could he write this in Philippians? A book which we're going to do a series on this coming year. Quite excited about that. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Paul, do you have amnesia? Did you forget what you did in your past Have you murdered all of those Christians? How can you say forgetting that which is behind in the past? Paul understood something as a Christ follower. As our brother Ted told us two weeks ago, if you weren't here. The Apostle Paul, scholars tell us, for about a decade, he is in the desert. He is being trained. He doesn't fall off the horse, right? He doesn't fall off his high horse. And then immediately, boom, he's thrust right into ministry, it was a process, a, a almost decade process where God has to shape him. God has to mold him. God has to rearrange him. Transformation for many of us, again, growing up in the church, is usually more than a moment. Are people transformed sometimes? Can God change your life in an instant? Of course he can. But I would say to you many times, more often than not, transformation is a process. And we don't like Process. That's why I love Dr. Cloud and Dr. Townsend, right? They talk so much about that in their books. It is a process to change. And there are certain ingredients that you need to change. And there is a cross and there is suffering and there is denial and there's pain. We don't want to hear that. Would you like when I tie in Cloud and Townsend? You get excited when I tie that? man. thought you did. Well, one thing I know is I'm not a Christian because I'm a good person. I'm a Christian precisely because I'm not. Do you get that? And I think that's, that's Christianity. That's Christianity. I wasn't going to share this, but I have to. Listening to um, uh, Pastor Linda had told, told me, she said, you know, you need to listen to a Gordon McDonald uh, uh, interview with Pete Scazzaro. Gordon McDonald is an amazing man. He's walked with the Lord for a long time. He's, he's probably around, right, 70 years old. He's 74, so he's a little older than uh, Pastor Joe. And uh, had to throw that in there, too. And Gordon McDonald is, is in this interview, and he goes on to talk about, and I ne- this is something I had never known, that he was a spiritual advisor to President Clinton during the Monica Lewinsky scandal. That he, Tony Campolo, and another, uh, President, Clinton at the t- President Clinton's Methodist minister down in D.C., so they would have a rotation every three weeks. Like one of them would go one week, and they would meet with the president for a couple hours, right? Imagine that, how intimidating. You're going to meet with the president. He would meet, Campolo would meet, and then this other minister would go there. And in, in the interview, he's sharing what he can share. And he said, some things I'll take to my grave I would never share. But he talked about the love that he had for Mr. Put your politics aside, all right? I, listen, I love President Clinton. I mean, one of the greatest speakers, what an orator. His oratorical skill is second to none. I'm not going to get into all the other issues, but I I really like the man. And he goes on to say that he had a genuine conversion when he was 16 years old. President Clinton did. He says he knew the Bible better than any 20th century president has. He knew the word, and he genuinely wanted to be a great man. You look at his past... I mean, he, was in a, he, was, he had to step in front of his mom twice from two stepfathers that wanted to beat her. We have no idea what it was like for him to live in that kind of environment. And here's a man that really wants, he wanted to deep within his bones, his marrow of his bones, to be a great man. But he had certain issues. He had baggage that he was bringing in every single year. And you know what was, this was the most poignant piece of what McDonald shared. He said this was crazy. He was getting hate emails. People were disparaging him for even meeting with President. In Clinton at the time. The church, of the Christians, Tony Campolo was getting the same kind of letters. That is despicable. We as the church, we're failures. It's about brokenness. Where did we go wrong? This is a church and we say it, but we have to echo it all the time. We are a church. We, you're, if you're a perfect person, you have to leave. You are not allowed to stay at City on a Hill Community Church if you have no imperfections. You do, but if you choose not to see them, you have to leave. What would have happened? He said it, right? What would have happened if the church rallied around President Clinton... And the body of Christ came to his aid and said, you know what? He is a failure. He has failed. Just, and he wasn't, he wasn't absolving him of all that he had done in that scandal. But he was saying, yes, he had failed. But how is he any different than you? And how is he any different than me? We are all failures. We are all broken. We are all in need of a savior. Yeah. That's Christianity. And it's hard to believe. I never, it's just hard to believe that's what the church really did. That's Christianity, though. To real—that's number one. You realize you can't do it on your own. If you're here because you just want to be a good person, moral rectitude, you want to do the right thing. You can't do it on your own. There has to be another life of the life of one who lived 2000 years ago who says, I want to live in you and I want to live through you. I want to change you from the inside out, not these external things where you do it on your own. Can you let me live through you? Can you trust that I know what I'm doing? I know how to shape you. I know how to mold you on the potter's wheel. I know exactly what to do because I am Jesus. And unfortunately, we don't hear that. I love what Annie Lamott says. She says she loves God and she's so thankful because God has low standards. Right? And there I am this week. I'm, I'm preparing for this message and I'm driving to work. Somebody cuts me off and I'm like, that stupid guy. What the heck is he doing? And something else happens at work and I'm like, what? why would somebody do that? All these things happen and I'm like, you know what? It's just a picture. We're constantly under construction. We need that Savior. We need somebody to help us. We are all failures. That's why Alcoholics Anonymous is so popular. That's why it's so successful and effective. Philip Yancey. I don't know how many of you know this name. Another prolific author, Christian author. This is what he says. I loved it. The only essential difference that I can tell between Christians and non-Christians is that Christians have acknowledged that we can't make it on our own. This is from an interview. We're failures and will continue to fail And the church in the year 3014 will be just as full of problems as the church in the year 2014 as it was in the year 1014. This is the gospel. But what's propagated, I'm sorry, on TV a lot of times is this is how you can be successful. Set your mind to something. You can do it. You have the power to change your life. That's not the gospel. Oh, how the gospel has been watered down. There has to be another life that lives through us that wants to change us. Self-effort, willpower, will never get it done. Behavior modifications, trying to change our, you know, our character, our lifestyle, who we are, does not work. It has to take heart transformation, Dallas Willard, renovation of our hearts. That's what we're after at City on a Hill Community Church. Not these external changes. What will cause us as Christ followers living today to experience radical change in our lives? And that comes from Christ changing us from the inside out. How about something else? So that's one. And listen, I'm going to go into more detail on this next week. So I'm kind of stopping there. But if you look on the sheet that I had given you, if you choose to, another one that I wanted to focus on today is we have too many things that we try to change in our life. This is getting to the crux. The thesis of my one word, of this series. Are you ready for this? We as people look at, don't you, would you agree that there are a myriad of things that you look at and say, I want to change all these things about my life. People make resolutions and they have this long list usually of things that they want to change about their lives. And I would say, we need to be a people that are singularly focused. Maybe give you an illustration of this. One of my all-time favorite christmas presents i don't even know if you remember this as a child this is joe this wasn't you this had to be pastor joe got me a telescope do you remember you getting me a telescope a little blue telescope i'm not a i'm a history teacher i never really loved science but hey as a kid to have a telescope you christian you should have been the one that got the telescope he's the science guy i should have gotten so i don't know but i get a telescope right now, think about it. Scientists tell us that there are over 100 million galaxies in the observ- observ- observable universe. Hard to fathom that. Pretty staggering. In the Milky Way galaxy, there are over 100 billion stars. Did you get that? 100 billion? Yeah, try to wrap your head around that. You can't. Do you ever stand out there at a starry night and you look around and you're like, what do I look at? I'm so, it's, it's intimidating almost. You're like, where do I focus? I'm not talking as a shooting star, just in general. When you look at it to the expanse of the sky and you see that, you're like, wow, that's pretty amazing. Now, why am I telling you that I got a telescope when I was a kid? You're like, really? What's the telescope about? Well, the telescope is interesting because with a telescope, I could focus in. I could look at one star and say, you know what? I want to look at that one star. Remember, all I wanted to do was look at Jupiter. I don't know. I was obsessed with Jupiter. I don't even remember if I could I see Jupiter Christian. I don't even remember. I could. All right. I don't know if I saw it or not, but I remember as a kid, I was just obsessed with that. I remember just going out and looking at one thing and focusing on that one thing in the sky, saying, that's the thing that I want to study. That's the thing that I want to focus on. That's the thing that I want to look at. Look at our lives. Look at the innumerable choices that we have available to us. Right. Just think about it. I was at the mall the other day and I'm returning some clothes and I'm with people and I'm, I'm thinking from my sociological uh, brain is going off because I'm thinking people and they're talking about just clothes. I can't. How am I supposed to pick this? How am I supposed to? Pick? There are so many choices. The paradox of choice, a great book by a psychologist. And he says, why more is actually less that we think we have all these choices available. To, we have too many choices and here we are at the beginning of a new year. Come on, the beginning of a new year. And we look at our life and we say, oh, God, I want to change all of these things. You can't possibly change everything, all of those things in one single year. We have to, using the telescope illustration, we have to focus on one thing in our lives that God is talking to us about. What is the one thing? The secret to concentration is Howard Hendricks, a theology professor. I love this. The secret to concentration is elimination. Let me say that again. The secret to concentration is elimination. Get rid of all of the distractions in our lives. We are the most distracted people that have ever lived. We multitask, right? How many of you? You multitask. I do on a regular basis. Doing two things at one time. If you're watching TV, you're eating. If you're eating, you're on a phone. How about this screen time? I couldn't believe this. The average American will spend six hours a day in screen time. How about screenagers? They will spend on average 12 hours a day. 12 hours on a phone, behind a computer, watching TV. Think about your day. Are you kidding me? Wow. We are the most distracted people that have ever lived. And guess what? There is an enemy. This is the key. Listen to me, please listen to me. We think that danger is danger is not. Let me say it this way. Danger is not that we'll renounce our faith. Danger is that we will lead a mediocre life, Christian life. Not that we're going to be people that renounce our faith, just that we're going to be so busy and so distracted that we live and settle for less than what God has for us. Does that make sense? That's what's important. We look at, I'm going to avoid all the big sins. And yet we're cut off. We sever ourselves from the life of God. We know we're so busy and distracted, yet we don't prioritize and put him first. Last time I checked, he said, seek me and my kingdom. And then what happens? Everything else in this world will be added unto you. When are we going to get that? It's 2014. There is an enemy that is out there and he wants to keep us busy. Screw tape letters. That's what some of the best parts of that book. That's what it's thought. Hey, it's wormwood. Just keep the Christians busy. That's what, that's what the enemy wants us to do. To go on. Let them. Let the Christians think it's about the big sins oh, they're not going to train wreck their lives and drive their, their lives off a cliff. Let them stay busy and let them stay distracted because then I have them. They're scattered and they don't know what to do and they're incapacitated and it becomes a new year and they say to themselves, I, can, I can't do this. Good, you can't do it. That means you're, you're at the right place. You realize you can't do it. I can't do it. That's where we begin to find change. C.S. Lewis put it this way. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. Mm. Makes a lot of sense. And this is what I put in there that you should look at. This This is really the thesis of the book that I had read. I'm giving you the exact thesis. Mike Ashcraft, the author, says, My one word, he didn't even come up with it. It's been around for so long, I don't even know who to give credit for the origins of it. The, my one word is designed to help us do something about one thing instead of nothing about everything. Let me say it again. You can hear me say it again next week. My one word is designed to help us do something about one thing instead of nothing about everything. How many of you feel that way some years? Oh my gosh, I want to change things, but after a while, I, I just, I can't do it. I can't do it. There's so many things that I want to look at. Proverbs 29, 18. I want you to see this. Where there is no vision, you've all seen this before. This is from the New American Standard Version. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. And what was so fascinating to me is as I was searching this verse and just looking up the meaning of the word, that word unrestrained there, one commentator says, it means that nothing governs our actions. Anything goes. Everything is is as important as everything else. Did you get that? Everything is as important as everything else. We think that a lack of vision means a lack of sight. You know what it means? Another commentator said this. A lack of vision means that we are scattered. Keep hearing me say that word. This verse means that people are just looking around doing, doing everything, not knowing how to, talking about change in the context of change. I don't know really what to do. I'm scattered. Where do I go? What do I do? If you're here this morning and you feel that way, you're in the right place. Because we have answers for you. Not a formula. This is not a formula. Listen to me. This my one word thing is not a magic word that you pick. And you name it and you claim it. And you go, oh, tomorrow, oh, I'm a new person. The end of 2014. That's not what this is. My one word is a lens, using that telescope again. It is a lens by which we look at our lives, everything through that lens, and we say, you know what? God, I believe as I look at things through this lens that you can, your life and your power, that you can move in and change me in this one area. Isn't that freeing, friends? It is for me. This verse is also a picture of a soldier that when they're going into battle, let me use even a better illustration. There's football on today. Can you? Uh, the Jets and the Giants aren't playing. We know that. Um, imagine a football player in the in one of the games today, one of the teams, and they go into the game and they have they don't they just have it. They have a, what I'm wearing. They just have like a shirt. They have pants. They don't have shoulder pads on. They don't have a helmet on. They don't have any of the other protective equipment. They say, "I'm ready to go." He's the quarterback. I'm ready, set. Everyone's like, "What the heck is he? What is he doing?" That's what it's akin to in our lives. That we say, I don't need this. I don't need vision. We are a people. God is telling us we need personal vision for our lives. Personal vision. And you know what? You know what you do? And you know what I do? I thought of it this week is I'm teaching my kids in school. And I'm doing the Gilded Age. And I'm talking about the great luminaries. The people like the Rockefellers. And I'm doing the Carnegies and the Vanderbilts. It's really my, like one of my favorite units to do as a history teacher. And I'm telling my kids about Thomas Edison. I'm going on about, he's the wizard of Menlo Park. And I'm telling them stories. And I'm getting really, I'm getting into it, animated with them. And I said, let me tell you one story. And you want to hear a story, a quick story? Yeah, yeah, all right. I won't tell you any stories. All right. So Thomas Edison, he's in Menlo Park, New Jersey and he has his like complex there and he has 12 it, it's tethered to what I'm talking about it's not just I'm not just telling you a story so there are there are 12 there are 12 buildings in this complex at Menlo Park New Jersey there is a fire that breaks out right 10 of the buildings will be destroyed but as the fire is going on it's just about dusk and edison looks over to his son and he says hey go get mom the kids like go get mom it's like a fire raging why would i go get mom he says Mom will never see anything like this ever again. And he's looking at it and he's like, he's enjoying it. The firemen come, right? The firemen come. He's sitting there thinking about, they didn't have sufficient light. On the spot, he starts in his mind, his mind starts thinking how he can invent something to help them have sufficient light when they're going to put out fires. Later on that night, they would ask him, Mr. Edison, you're 67 years old. What are you going to do? You were only insured for $2 million on this property. You have seven, you're going to have, well, he has $7 million worth of damage. You know what he says? Tomorrow, I will start to rebuild. Tomorrow morning, a man that was singularly focused. He slept only three or four hours a day. All these guys, they were driven. And I say to myself, I say, man, I can't be like these guys. I can't be that singularly driven. And I know some of you probably look at it that way too. Or maybe you look at a pastor in a church and you say, "You are one, I'm a driven man. I am. I'm very driven. Passionate. You are supposed to be passionate and driven about certain things, about seeing real change in your life. Not willpower, but seeing the life of Christ manifested in your life, being changed again from the inside out. It's not just for those people. It's not just for the people that you read in these books. It's for us ordinary Americans, Christians living in the 21st century. Change is possible, but focus is required. Let me say that again. Change is possible, but focus is required. So let's get to the end of the sermon. Some of you got very excited. How about the process for picking our one word? I had one more passage. Can I please just put it up? Do you mind? Just quick, all right. You've all seen this verse too. Had to put it in there. And this is one of the verses I put as one of the key stone verses in this, in this uh, series. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is from Moses. This doesn't really mean that we're literally supposed to check off every single day that goes by, but we're supposed to be a people that have real vision. Didn't you, did you hear Tom, Pastor Tom, last week? And he, and he preached from the book of James. And we're supposed, life is like a vapor. The brevity of life. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. That's what this is. If we're not careful, we'll be so busy, so distracted, that we'll go all of our days, we'll go from one year to the next. And I'm sorry, like Tom talked about, I'm going to be really blunt. You'll go from one year to the next and eventually you'll die and you won't experience much change. And you will live for less than God has for you in your life. And the great news this morning is, you won't have to do that. And you know where change happens? It happens in the context of community. I was with friends last night, and we hung out, and we had such wonderful time, wonderful fellowship. And you know what we said to each other? We all feel disconnected. I feel so disconnected from people, from the community of God, like I never have before. I'm being brutally honest with you. And I looked out, I'm looking out at your faces, and I know many of you can relate, can't you? Do you feel disconnected? Disconnected from each other. Well, I'm here to tell you, I started 2014, and last night, and I put a stake in the ground and said, you know what, I'm done. Doing life alone, going seasons in, seasons out. I will not become the person God has created me to be unless I'm sharing my life with other Christians and city on a hill community church. And you won't either. But yet we keep doing the same thing. You hear me say it. And, and Pastor Linda has said it for years. Pastor Joe has said it. You've heard it over and over again ad nauseum. But still, we don't get the point. You can't do life on your own. Throwing way too much in this sermon. All right, steps to picking your one word. Let's get to, as, as we really close. All right, here's the first step. This is not something, again, this is not a magic word. Ooh, like I'm going to pick this word and it's just going to change my life. That's not what this is. This is not something that you're to be in a rush doing. Now, I'm really teaching right now, right? Making this as practical as I can. You are to take the next few weeks. I purposely am running this, giving us two weeks... By February 1st, I want this to be part of the vernacular of our church and community. That we are talking to each other about what our one word is. When you're at home, your kids should be picking their one word. Something that I have it on my computer. It's going to be it's the background on my computer. The you know the screensaver. I have it written down in places. I want it in my car. I want to see that word and just have it before me at all times. Where there is no vision, the people will perish. If you don't do that you're going to have the same problem. All right. First there, here you go. What not listing, listen to me, listing here. What is the type? What kind of person do you want to be by the end of 2014? Cause you know why resolutions don't work? There's only, we, we swear. How many of you have sworn at some point? I swear I'm never going to do this action again, right? You've done it. You've done it a million times. There's only two ways that can go. You can either succeed in that or you fail. And when you fail in doing that, you're like, I'm done. There's only two ways that can go. Regret. And many of the resolutions we, ma- we make are regret-based. It's not, what are those things I don't want to do this year? It's what is or who is the type, what type of person do I want to become at the end of 2014? List those characteristics. Do not edit this list. Just write down, what are the characteristics? Generosity, uh, faith, you want to, um, simplistic, whatever those words are for you, write those words down. That's the type of person you want to be. Christ is more concerned, God is more concerned in the type of person you become than the sweeping New Year's resolutions and changing little behaviors. Christ wants to change every single aspect of who we are and make us more into his image. So that's the first piece here. Can we do that? I hope so. Number two. Step number two. Edit and reduce your list to five to ten words. This I got right from the book. I thought it was, I, I thought it was great. Five to ten words. Narrow that down. Winnow down that list. Pick a couple of words from that list that you think really they really resonate with you. Now, from there, from picking those, those words, like I wrote, through prayer and finding time to step out of traffic, I think this is what has to happen. This won't happen if you have the TV set on, if you're watching football later on today, or you're watching your favorite TV show during the week and you're trying to do this. This means step out of traffic, get in some silence, Before God, prayerfully looking at, Lord, what is the word that I am looking, what what are you telling me in my spirit is the word that I'm supposed to focus on this year? The lens through which I'm supposed to look at my life in 2014, what is it? And then the last step. Once you have picked your one word, write it down, keep it constantly before you, as I said before. So the steps again. Writing down the list, what is the type of person that you want to become at the end of this year? What is it? Who is that person? There is a person that's there. You know, we say that it's not about willpower, but there is work that, that does have to be done for our lives to be changed. Don't get that wrong. Don't hear me say that. We're going to get into that more next week. There is work for us to do as Christ followers to experience real change. You want my word? I'm going to show it to you. You know what my word is this year? It's breathe. What does that mean? It can mean a million different things. For me, my word breathe means... Six days a week, some weeks, I breathe life into other people. I preach here. I'm a preacher in church. I speak at school. I believe I'm not just giving kids history. I'm trying to give kids life and whatever that is and and giving them the life of Christ and it could be through whatever, my love for history and just whatever we talk about. I can't breathe life into other people unless God is really breathing life into me. And too many times in my life, it's work. And I'm not spending, I'm not taking the time to really step out of traffic for me, not for sermons, not for for me, my own soul. If I am going to breathe real life on a regular, consistent basis to you and give you fresh manna, then I have to be somebody that does it on a regular basis. And I can, as Megan can attest to, I, I can be very busy trying to hold down really two jobs at times. It's not an excuse. I need to find time to really let God breathe, as it says in Genesis, Breathing life into man. I need to have him breathe life into me. And this is the last slide, I promise. This is it, last minute here. These are some of the words that they had on there. You can go to myoneword.org. You can go there and you can see they have different things on They have some blogs on there. I mean, some of the stuff I thought was pretty good. And I just pulled off some of the words from people. These are their words. I can't tell you what your word is. You have to sit down and pick that word. But what if at the end of 2014... You live with this one word, whatever it is. You forget everything else. All those other things, you know what? You have time to change. Trust me, 2015 will be here and you'll get to pick another word. But let's sit here and pick one word together. When you're with your families, when you're with your kids, why can't your kids pick a word? Hey, honey, explain this to them, what it is. Show, that's why I gave you the handout. Let them see what it is. What do you want? And this transcends religion. This isn't a religious, this is something you could do in your workplace. This is something you could do in the business world. This is something you could do anywhere focus is required change is possible but focus is required and we need to understand let's do something in 2014 about one thing instead of nothing about everything how many of you are with me on this this journey good and we come to this table and as you heard me say over and over again today this is not something you do on your own this is not something, change is not something you experience by self-effort. It's by trusting the one that laid down his life at that cross. The one who spread his hands and embraced every single human being. Anybody that wanted to accept what he did. He says, I want to live through you. I want to take all of your sin. I want to take all of your junk. I want to take all of your garbage. I want to live through you and I want to change you. And unfortunately, we live in a world that is, that is robbing us and trying to keep us, again, that word scattered. It's time for us to narrow down our focus in 2014. This is a movement. Again, this is not even just, this this is more about a movement that we are starting in this church and trusting the one that laid down his life. As you come up to this table this morning, I ask that you would prayerfully consider Whatever God is, however, God has pricked your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, what is there something that He's saying to you? Not pick your word right now, but maybe there'll be multiple words, multiple things that are going on inside your mind and your heart. Let God speak to you. I'll share Thanks for listening to City on a Hills Podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.